So Acts chapter 4, if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn there. That's where we'll be again as we continue our journey through this book written by Luke. Can you keep a secret? How many of you have ever been asked to keep a secret? Anybody? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very common thing that many of us have to deal with. Now, some of us are, aren't as good as others at keeping secrets, right? You have a friend who you're like, hey, you know, keep the secret. And then all of a sudden they're like, you hear it from someone else that the thing that you told and like, come on, man, I thought I could trust you, you know, to keep a secret. They're like, oh, sorry. But there are some things that aren't meant to be kept a secret. There are some things that in the world of um, the church, sometimes, you know, we have like the, the unspoken prayer request, right? It's, we're afraid of saying what is going on in our life because it's really impactful to us. We don't want it to be spread beyond a certain group of people. And we say, you know, well, it's unspoken. And it's like, well, I don't know what I'm praying for. Like, you know, I, I want to grow in my relationship with you. And if you don't trust me to say that. I mean, so there's certain secrets that, you know, maybe we keep from others that we ought to say. Now, when we look here at where we are in Acts chapter 4, it's a little bit different than any of those circumstances. But basically what ends up happening is the disciples are told, hey, you need to keep the message of the gospel secret. Like, stop proclaiming this news all over the place. And where we pick this up in, in Acts chapter 4, before we read verses 13 through 22 in our text today, to pick us back up, this is really just a continuation of what happened in chapter 3, and then what we talked about last week in the beginning of chapter 4. So in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, two of the, you know, sort of, I wasn't say most popular. I don't know what most popular. I mean, I guess Peter is pretty popular still these days. But um, to the most well-known disciples, apostles, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Then Peter and John, we find them going up to the temple. And there's a beggar outside of the temple, a crippled man, who's, who is laid there every day to ask for money. And... Peter and John are like, hey, man, we don't have any money because we're, you know, poor disciples who have been following Jesus around. We haven't been doing any work the last few years other than the work of the kingdom. And sometimes, you know, we're just scraping by. Like Jesus, it says in the Gospels, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But Jesus, he didn't have his own house. He lived off of other people, the generosity of those who saw the work that he was doing and he gave and they gave to him they provided places for him to stay and for his disciples and his disciples were with him and so they too probably didn't have a lot of their own resources and so they say hey look mr crippled man i don't have gold i don't have silver this is a really rough paraphrase right you know <laughs> they say look i don't have these things but what i do have I'm going to give to you. What I have is this message of the gospel is faith in Christ. And I want to share this with you. I want to give this to you. And so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so this crippled man, 
gets up and walks. And he doesn't just walk, but he starts jumping up and down and running all throughout the temple being like, dudes, look, I don't have to beg for money anymore. Like I can actually go do some work now, right? I mean, I can go weld, you know, I, I, mean, <laughs> I can go down to Walmart and pick up a shift. You know, I can go Amazon flex it and drive around town and drop off packages. You know, I can do all these things now. And this is awesome, right? But that's, I mean, it doesn't say that's what he's excited about. But certainly that's one of the things that he's got to be excited about, right? Is, hey, I was crippled and now I'm not crippled. And Jesus has done this for me. He sent his disciples, his apostles, with the power of his spirit to give me this new lease on life. So, as Peter and John are hanging out with this guy around the temple, Peter goes into the sermon and he starts teaching. And he says, hey, look, y'all see this guy. You've seen him the last however many years at the temple begging. Jesus Christ has done this for him. And then what happens is the people in charge of the temple and the religious leaders, they're like, hey, 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 whoa, you can't do this. We didn't say you could do this. This is not legitimate. And so you need to stop. And they throw Peter and John in jail. And it actually kind of seems like, with what we're about to read here in a second, it almost seems like maybe they threw this guy in jail too. Like it wasn't just Peter and John who they threw in jail. They threw the cripple guy in jail. But he's not crippled anymore, right? I mean, you know, so it's not like they had to drag him in and out of jail. So that was... Nice, but maybe he he was in jail too with them. And so this is where we're at when we start in our text here in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And so this is the religious leaders. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, They had nothing to say in opposition, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This dude was just a, like, I mean, he was older than me. And for his entire life, crippled from birth. And I think, wow, what would life be like if I were crippled from birth and couldn't walk, couldn't care for myself, couldn't provide for myself, couldn't work and have a family and had to beg people all day long for money? It's got to be rough. Now, I really want to just kind of focus in on verse 13 for most of our time that we have today. Look back at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What, what brings 
you boldness in your life? You can you can give answers. You can you can speak out loud right now. It's not rhetorical. What like what provides you boldness? What gives you boldness in your life? Like legitimately, not churchy answers. I mean, like what what makes you what gives you confidence? What provides you? The people around you. Okay. Good. Yeah. People around you. What else? So are you saying a song gives you confidence and boldness? Or? Specifically, I pull it up on YouTube and I listen to it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, Rocky listening to his music, you know, running up the steps in Philadelphia. Right? Ba-da-ba. Ba-da-ba. Right? Yeah. All right. What else? One more. I'll make a stager all day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where, where, yeah. Where otherwise, right. Yeah. Mama bear syndrome. Right. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, you're fine. Hey, look, you leave us alone and we're happy to hang out here in Alaska by ourselves. But when bear man comes along and starts messing with us, you know, either trying to hunt us or be our friend whenever, you know, he shouldn't be like, I'm going to start turning in protection mode. Yeah. Good. Right. Yeah. I, I like that. That's a really good example. Right, I mean, and so think about these guys who were not trained in the temple ways. Think about these guys, Peter and John, who were uneducated, as it says, common men. Now, I touched on this a little bit last week, but sometimes as Christians, we think, Hey, I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. There's a lot in this book that I don't know and that I don't understand. And so my boldness confidence level is kind of, you know, a little bit more down here than like where I see the preacher at, right? Or where I see this guy who's gone to school to be trained as a pastor or a ministry leader, right? I mean, you know, their confidence and boldness level should be up there, but it's okay for me to be down here because I'm not trained and I'm not educated and I haven't spent all that time doing all the things that maybe I know I should have done or could have done but haven't done. And so I feel bad because maybe I've wasted some of my time as a Christian or maybe I just haven't been as diligent as I could have been. Or maybe it's just, hey, I'm a new Christian, I'm a young Christian, and so like I just haven't had that much time and exposure to the truth and so I don't know much. And we use some of these things as excuses to say, well, you know, it's okay for me not to be bold. It's okay for me not to have confidence in the word of God and in my evangelism, in my encouragement to other people and building them up to be more equipped disciples. And so, I mean, just think about where you have been maybe at other points in your life or maybe now in your life and where you have these expectations put on yourself that you're saying, well, I I haven't reached that yet, right? I mean, there's a certain level of boldness that I'm expecting, that I'm anticipating to be able to reach at some point in my life. 
And once I reach that, then I'll start being bold. Then I'll start being, you know, that mama bear, right? Then I'll start saying, hey, you know, like that song is playing in my head all the time, 24-7. I don't even have to go turn it on, right? I've memorized it. And it's just every day when I wake up, it's just there, right? And I have that confidence. I say, maybe I'm all alone. I feel alone. And I don't have people around me who, like, you know, if I'm in the middle of a group, it's a lot easier to say, hey, to be bold. Because at least then I have the other people to lean on, and they're like, hey, they can back me up, right? I mean, you know, like one person doesn't take on five. It's usually, I mean, unless it's one of these movies where, you know, the guy, it doesn't matter how many people he's facing, just kills all of them. Because that's what happens with all the superhero movies, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. Because that's what happens nowadays. All these guys, they never lose. They just win, no matter how many they're facing. But maybe we feel alone, and we're like, if other people are around me, then I'll have the confidence and the boldness to be able to do what God has called me to do, who he has called me to be. At that point, I can be that person. But I think maybe we ought to look at this verse... And think of ourselves and say, look, if Peter and John are uneducated, common guys, and like, you know, we are just regular common people living in Abingdon or Bristol, the area, we're just kind of hanging out and we're just normal people doing normal things, maybe... I, too, can still have boldness when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel, when it comes to encouraging other people in their discipleship, where I don't have to be ashamed of all the things that I don't know, and I can be confident in what I do know. And though I don't have all the answers and I don't know everything, one thing that I have committed myself to, right? Hopefully we can all say this and we can, t- can continue to grow in this fact that we have been with Jesus. And I think that's like the most interesting thing about probably this entire passage to me is of all the things that they noticed, but like they didn't have this, they didn't have that. They didn't have all of, you know, the letters behind their name, as we kind of mentioned last week, right? They haven't gone to school. They haven't done the training, just regular people. But what they did have is that they had been with Jesus. And one thing that we do have available to us, even now, is we are able, through his word, to know who he is. Right. So we're not left wondering, who is Jesus? We're not left wondering, what was he like? We're not left wondering, what did he teach? We're not left wondering, what did he do for us? We're not left wondering about the truth. We know the truth. The truth is here and available to us. And through the spirit that he gives to us, when we repent of our sins, when we admit that we don't have all the answers, when we admit that God had this design for our lives and that we walked away from it, maybe some of us ran away from it, and that we've experienced the brokenness in our lives and we've understood that sin has caused that brokenness in us, and sin has caused that brokenness in our world around us, in our families, 
with our friends. When we ask someone to keep a secret and they didn't, and we say, wow, this is an example of brokenness, right? Because in a perfect world, I could tell a secret and, you know, they wouldn't tell. Or in a perfect world, I didn't have to have any secrets, right? Which is even better. But in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of that sin that we found around us and in us, Christ has come in. And he lived a perfect life, and he, he died the death that we deserved and put on our account the righteousness that we could never that we could never attain ourselves through our good works, through our good looks, or lack thereof in both categories. Jesus paid it all, as we sing. Child of weakness is me, and everything that I need is in him. And in him I stand complete. And it's not him plus my good works. It's him alone. He paid it all. Like he didn't pay 95% and I had to put down the other five, right? This wasn't, this wasn't a, like a cosine thing. Or like what this was, was he paid for the house, but he still put my name on the title because he loved me that much. Because he's that nice. Because he's that cool. Even when I had run away from him. Even when I had run toward that brokenness in my life. But the gospel says, I've repented from that. I've stopped running towards that brokenness and started running to him. I have desired to be with him. I'm with Jesus. And we have that opportunity to be with him because he hasn't just sent his spirit to Peter and John. He has sent his spirit with us when we repent and believe. And now, because his spirit is with us, we can begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life and realize that God's design for our life is better than whatever else this world or anything that we find on here is going to tell us what we need. This world has so many different ways to encourage us toward worldliness away from Christ. But as You'll notice in that book, The Gospel at Work, our book of the month, early on he talks about, uh, you know, it's football season, right? And so football fields, you know that it's a football field. Why? Well, because they have lines and they have end zones, but then they have goalposts, right? Because otherwise it might just be, you know, if it was not at the end, it'd be soccer. Well, it's kind of football, but a different kind of football, right? And then, but they have goalposts, right? So you think about the goalposts and the goalposts, the idea that this world is, is, hey, here's the goal, right? These goalposts that are standing there. You can reach that goal. But what happens is the lies of this world are that, hey, here's this goal, but it keeps moving, right? The goalpost keeps moving. just keeps getting further and further back. It's like you keep looking over the hill and you see the goalpost and you're like, I'm getting closer. I can see the goal. Like, these people are right. There is a goal there. Like, there is something for me to go toward and I'm running towards that. But as much as I run towards it, sometimes it gets, seems to get a little bit closer and then sometimes it seems to be further away. Like I, I, I kick the ball and it should be reaching it, but it keeps falling short. Like I can't ever actually attain to what this world is promising for my life. And what 
God promises for us is that he would be with us. I mean, it's not Christmas season yet, right? It's still pre-Thanksgiving, so, you know, it's fall. We'll have time to celebrate Christmas here in a few weeks and for all of December and for the rest of the year. But one of the things that that we ought to realize is that Jesus is with us. Just like these disciples have been with Jesus physically and they have God's Spirit with them now, we too have the opportunity, the capacity, to be able to be with Jesus. God with us. Emmanuel, like Jesus is still with us through his Spirit that he gives when we repent and believe. There are many things in our life that are going to bring us boldness. For some people, it might be a little bit different. For it might be a little bit higher of a bar than others. I mean, if I were to go walk in to the hospital and go into Nathan's practice and sit across from a patient and they started telling me all their problems and I was supposed to be there and figure out what the solution is, I would have a whole lot of no boldness, right? But if I had, but if I had like Nathan in my ear, right, you know, in the other room listening to everything and him telling me what to say and him telling me what's going on and how this person can be helped, that might change it, right? I mean, that's kind of a really strange situation, but, you know, I mean, like if he's telling me what to do, what to say, how to do it, what needs to be done, certainly that would be like, my level of boldness would go from here to, I mean, somewhere higher. Now, hopefully I never have to be in that situation because that would be really awkward for all involved. Probably illegal. illegal. Yeah, there's so many things wrong with that. But I think you can see where, you know, if Jesus is with us, there are things to fear in a sense. But really, what is there to fear? If we know that he is with us, shouldn't that truth go beyond whatever issues and concerns that we have? And that's where we find in this story Peter and John and, and their reaction to this council. They say, look, guys, I mean, you know, we respect you and all, but the problem is you're wrong. And if we're going to pick, have to choose between listening to you and listening to God, the one we're going to listen to is not you. So, I mean, just kind of how it is, right? And that's, that's what they say. And so here, here's where I, in verse 14, it says, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. That's where I, I get, if they're being accused or questioned in this whole time, and the guy is standing right beside them, next to them, it seems like Peter and John and this guy are the three who have been arrested, who have been put in jail overnight until the council could convene to try them 
the next day. And so it's Peter and John and this guy. And this guy is just like, you know, I'm standing here and that should be everything I need to say, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, what else do I need to say in this moment other than... <laughs> And they're saying, Peter and John, explain this. Look, this is where salvation is found, in Jesus Christ. And this man is a sign to show that what we're saying is true. Right, verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They had no defense. They couldn't go against the truth staring them in the face. But they could, they, they could go. They could stand in defiance. Even though clearly it says they had nothing to say in opposition. They see that guy just being like, you know, I mean, he's, he's just doing that thing. And they're like, no, no, this is illegitimate. You didn't, you didn't really just do that. We'll sweep you under the rug. And when they commanded them to leave, verse 15, they had nothing, well, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order to make ourselves look better, in order to keep ourselves on the same level that we've been at and not be pushed down in order to keep our esteem in order to still look good supposedly let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name so they called them charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of jesus but peter and john answered them whether it is right in the sight of god to listen to you rather than to god you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard We read from Jeremiah chapter 20 earlier. The reason we read from Jeremiah 20 earlier is because this is basically the same thing that Jeremiah says in the Old Testament. When he is given the word of God, when he is given all these prophecies to speak to Israel, to Jerusalem, to the people around him, to the nations, he's given these prophecies to speak. And the people are not treating him kindly. They throw him in a pit. They put him in custody. Most people hate Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's like, I wish I could just stop speaking in your name. I would rather just sit back on the sidelines and not be a part of this. But the problem is, because I know who you are, because I have a relationship with you, because I know that this word is your word, I can't hold this in. If I do hold it in, it's going to be like fire in my bones that is going to consume me until I speak it out, until I get it out. And so they say, look, you can tell us not to do this, but we're going to have to obey God. He has called us to be witnesses. And if we hold this in, we are directly disobeying the calling he has put on our life. And at this point, they didn't really have anything that they could do 
to them. Because the guy is literally standing right next to them as evidence, both to them and to all the people who are around in Jerusalem, around the temple, everywhere at this point, as a sign saying, if you were to... If you were to hurt these people at this point, if you were to stone these people at this point, you would have such an uprising on your hands that you could never stop what's happening. You could never stop this truth. And you would lose your position that you're so diligently trying to hold on to. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now it is, it is unfortunate that in our world today, in the 21st century, and in Abingdon, Virginia, we don't encounter signs like this in our midst. Sometimes we want a level of boldness through circumstances that maybe we're just simply not going to experience. We want someone who's sick in the hospital, we want to go pray for them and pray for healing and them to be magically cured because we prayed for them, because we had enough faith And if they were cured and healed, then we'd be able to say, look at what God has done. And here's a sign that clearly shows, that gives me boldness that I need to be able to proclaim without hesitation, without reservation, this truth of the gospel and that what God is doing is real. Maybe sometimes we think that's what we need in order to be bold, like Peter and John. But we don't, we don't typically have that. I don't know if you've seen that personally in your life or not. Especially if you've seen it here in this area. But it just doesn't happen every day. And in one sense that's unfortunate because I would feel a lot better if I could have that. If every week I were going around to the nursing home or the hospital and being like, Jesus healed this old lady. And then all of a sudden, she kicked aside her walker and was like running down the street and signed up for the 5K turkey trot. You know, like that would be awesome. But that's not happening. And if that's what I'm waiting for, then I'm never going to do anything productive in my life as a Christian. And so what we need to be content with is that God does change people spiritually. He may, not, he may not change us physically, and that's okay, but what he can do and what he will do is he will change us spiritually, and he will change others through the word that we proclaim to them. He will change them spiritually. His spirit will work in their hearts through the words that we proclaim, the words that he has given to us, by proclaiming his name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the truth of his gospel, by proclaiming that, he will use that to change people. 
And if that's not enough for us, then I'm not sure anything ever will be. And so what's left for us today is to ask ourselves, are we there? Do we have that level of boldness? Are we not ashamed? Even though we don't have the seminary degree, even though we're just common, regular people in a small town in no man's land, Appalachia, compared to all the giant cities that exist in this world and in this nation. That even though I have all these reasons and excuses, that I believe that God still desires and expects to use me by proclaiming his word, his word boldly. So are, are we there where we have a level of boldness and we are faithfully proclaiming the gospel to those around us? And if, if we're not fully there 24-7, because I'm not there 24-7, and I'm even educated I mean, I'm just a common guy, but I am educated. You know, like I have a seminary degree, but I'm not always there 24-7. Sometimes I recoil. Sometimes I fall back into fear. And I know if that's true for me, then it's probably true for most others at some level and at some point. And maybe you feel like you're just way at the bottom. You're like, I've never had boldness. I've, I don't know how to start a conversation with a stranger if they were handing me a hundred bucks. I'd be like, uh, what's the catch? You know, <laughs> like, this is not, it's not, is there a camera somewhere filming my reaction to this? So maybe you're at the bottom. Maybe you're at the top and you're bold and you've been bold and you've never had any fear in your life. And maybe you're at the bottom. And you're like, I've never shared, proclaimed the gospel to anybody because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to encourage other people in their faith because I don't know how to encourage myself in my faith. What is going to get us to move toward the likes of the example that we have here in Peter and John? We can stand in front of the magistrates. We can stand in front of the town council. We can stand in front of the Washington County Board of Supervisors. We can stand in the legislature in Richmond. We can stand on the steps of the Supreme Court. We can have someone filming us live on television, and we are able to proclaim the truth boldly, Billy Graham style. What's going to get us to move forward in our faith. What's going to get you to move forward in your faith? What practical steps can we take? And we're going to go through this most of the rest of chapter 4 next week. But maybe your Bible has a heading for the next section. And I want us again to recognize just the boldness that Peter and John had, but even still, like the heading that my Bible has right before verse 23, 
says the believers pray for boldness. Even though Peter and John had boldness, they are a part of the people in the next few verses that pray for boldness. I've been bold once, but that doesn't mean I'm always going to be bold. I've been obedient once, but that doesn't mean I can always look back at that one point of obedience and say, look, remember Jesus, that one time that I did what you told me to do, right? Hey, mom, remember that one time I cleaned my room five years ago, even though I haven't cleaned it since? I obeyed you that one time, and that makes me a good kid, right? Just remember that one glorious moment. Every year at Christmas, my parents would give, there were four of us, four of us kids, and my, um, my mom every year, she would say, all I, all I want for Christmas, all she wanted for Christmas was for us not to fight. <laughs> and she never got her Christmas wish because we were just horrible kids. I mean, I shouldn't speak for the rest of them. They were horrible, but I was more horrible. I was horribler. I was, I was the worst of them. So, <laughs> sometimes, I know, I was a bad kid. Um, right? we, we can't live off of past successes. We have to continue to look forward at what God desires to do through us. And even if last year we didn't give our mom the gift that she wanted, and even if we didn't clean our room two weeks ago and things have just gotten that much worse, God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't throw us to the curb and say, you had your chance, sorry. He still stays with us. He still is there to love us and forgive us and to still say, hey, look, I've, I haven't called you just to exist. I've called you to be my sons and daughters who image me, who act like me, who know me and are in relationship with me, who, who desire to be with me and who desire to see other people to be with me. We can be content all day long that we have been with Jesus, but being with Jesus alone without bringing other people into that mix has got to be one of the saddest states that so many churches are in all around us. We are content to be with Jesus by ourselves and we're not busy about trying to bring other people into that. And one thing you can do is pray. Pray. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're just going to pray. God, we pray that you would give us boldness. Help us to know that this truth that you have given to us is, is true and that it is real and that it is impactful for us. That it means something in our lives. That it's not just a fact to know that is somewhere in the recesses of our mind, but that is something that is 
constantly on the forefront of our mind that, that we think about every day. What you've done for us. How you lived a perfect life. How you, how you left heaven, came down to live like we live. And in even worse conditions, without all the technology that we have. And you lived that life that was perfect, the life that we have failed to live, and you died the death that we deserved because of our sin. And you were raised from the dead. Help us to remember these facts and that they would be on our minds constantly and that the boldness that we need in this life comes from you and comes from knowing your truth and having been with you and having spent time with you in your word and in prayer Give us a desire to be in relationship with you and give us a desire to see other people to come into a relationship with you. God, please grant us boldness. Don't let us be ashamed. Don't let us hold in the truth. God, would you do this? Because we can't do it without you. We can't do it without your spirit. And we look forward to seeing the fruits of your labor through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.